What's up, Moto community? Welcome to episode eight of the Dinted Pipe podcast. I am your host, Ron Dog, and today we're going to be looking at the Triple Crown from last week's race in Arlington. As always, I just like to start off by way of reminder that this is a privateer podcast by a fan for the fans. I in no way, shape, or form have any affiliation with any of the riders, mechanics, teams, owners, factories, manufacturers, or any of the sponsors involved in Monster Energy AMA Supercross. I am simply a fan who grew up riding dirt bikes my whole life and following Supercross and Motocross, so I'm doing a podcast. With that said, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy this episode, and there's really only one question left. Are you ready to podcast? let's get right into the action it's a triple crown so we have three races tonight so basically the top 18 the fastest qualifying times of combined qualifying automatically get into this three race event then the remaining riders go into the lcq and to get your final four riders so we have 22 riders going into three races three 10 minute plus one lap mini main events if you will and uh winner takes all lower score your scores the points you get for the position you finish. So if you finish first, you get one point. You finish second, two points, and so on. So at the end of three races, whoever has the lowest total points wins the overall for the 26 points in the championship. A tiebreaker will go to the better finish in the third and final race. So let's get into race one. Jordan Smith would come out and get the whole shot. But RJ Hampshire would waste no time, and in the second corner, he would take the lead, followed by... Chase Sexton in third, Joey Crown in fourth, and Jeremy Martin rounding out your top five. At the end of lap one, McElrath, the, the points leader from winning the 250 East season opener last week in Tampa, is buried. He's gotten a bad start. He's buried. He's trying to work his way through the pack. Six minutes plus one lap to go, and Sexton has moved around Smith to take second and is running down Hampshire. Jeremy Martin has also moved around Joey Crown for fourth, and Shane McElrath has worked his way all the way up to fifth, but he is 6.5 seconds behind the leader. Sexton would be, get a great drive through the whoops and take the lead from uh, RJ Hampshire. But just two turns later, Sexton would land off the finish line jump and go a little bit wide, and RJ would see his opening, dive to the inside, throw a block pass on Chase Sexton, and Sexton would end up going down. Three minutes plus one lap left, and the running order is Hampshire, Smith, McElrath has already worked his way all the way up to third, with Sexton and Jeremy Martin rounding out your top five. Just over a minute left, McElrath dives to the inside in the corner after the whoops and puts a hard block pass on Jordan Smith, which stands him up, and it's Green Kawasaki would launch off the side of the berm, but luckily for him, that corner dumped them back on to the start straight going backwards. So he had plenty of room to land and made a great um, great recovery so that he wouldn't go down. But this would also allow Sexton by. Uh, Sexton would get by Smith and waste no time taking second from Shane McElrath. Just a couple corners later, Hampshire would win the race one, followed by Sexton, McElrath, Smith, J. Mark, Marshbanks, Crown, Lopes, uh, Josh Hill, and Swole rounding out your top ten. Now, in race two, Josh Hill would get the whole shot, and Smith is down in the first turn. 
Sexton would make the pass on Josh Hill in the whoops, and at the end of lap one, the running order is Sexton, Josh Hill, Crown, Winter, and McElrath rounding up the top five. Crown would pass Josh Hill in the whoops on the second lap and take second place. Six minutes plus one lap, and the running order is Sexton, Crown, McElrath, Josh Hill, and Marsh Banks. With the race one winner, Hampshire, getting a horrible start, and he's still buried back in the pack in eighth place. Five minutes plus one lap, Smith and Owens run into each other and go down. McElrath has moved into second, and Jmar is battling with Crown for third. Uh, what happened there is Jordan Smith coming over the finish line jump. Jordan Smith was kind of jumping, I guess, more to the inside of Owens, trying to get around the inside, and didn't realize Owens was going to... As soon as he landed, Owens kind of started coming over to cut the inside of the corner, and uh, Jordan Smith actually kind of landed on the back fender, and they both ended up going down. Owens wasn't happy. He went over to Smith a couple times and exchanged words, but unfortunately, it looked like a racing incident. Sexton would, uh, would win, followed by McElrath, Jeremy Martin, March Banks, and Crown rounding out the top five. RJ Hampshire would end up battling all the way back to six. And uh, Jordan Smith would crash once again in the whoops and finish in 20th. Jordan Smith had a hard night. He had several crashes throughout the evening. So that brings us to the third and final race. The whole shot would go to Shane McElrath. Thank you, Shane McElrath. I had you for first lap leader in my pole. Uh, Pulp MX Fantasy team, so I was getting a little worried, but you, you pulled it off in the third race, got me those bonus points. He would be followed by Sexton. At the end of lap one, the running order would be McElrath, Sexton, Lopes, Hampshire, Smith, Jeremy Martin, Crown, Josh Hill, Lucrucio, Marsh Banks, rounding out your top ten. With eight minutes plus one lap, Hampshire and Lopes are battling for third. Hampshire passes Lopes, and Lopes passes him right back. This allowed Smith to catch and pass them both. Six minutes plus one lap, and now Jeremy Martin passes Lopes uh, um, as Lopes is starting to fade backwards. Hampshire drives, dives to the inside of the finish line jump, just like he did in the first race to Chase Sexton, pulls the same move on Smith. They make a little bit of contact. It looks like uh, Hampshire's right hand slash handlebar might have got under Smith's arm, and as he accelerates away, it basically just pulls him over, and Smith falls down. Smith is slow to get up, though, and I don't think he had a whole lot. This time, it looked like Hampshire really was too, I mean, he was definitely aggressive. He definitely made contact, but he didn't just slam into him like he did with Chase Sexton. I think Jordan Smith, unfortunately, was tired. He was banged up. He'd been on the ground a lot. Now, here he was on the ground again. Shane McElrath would lead every lap of the third and final race, followed by Chase Sexton and R.J. Hampshire. Jeremy Martin and Garrett Marchbanks would uh, round out the top five. The overall would go to Chase Sexton, followed by Shane McElrath, R.J. Hampshire, Jeremy Martin, and Garrett Marchbanks, again rounding out the top five, with Joey Crown finishing in an, in an impressive seventh overall. So let's take a look at some of our riders this week. Chase Sexton, he qualified second. He had one race win, and he ended up first overall. Chase Sexton was by far one of the fastest guys out there all night. I think uh, Chase Sexton and Shane McElrath are quickly rising to the top of the East Coast uh, 250 uh, championship. They, they tend to be the two fastest riders, and they tend to be the two battling up front. 
for this championship. Um, not only did Chase Sexton get the win in the second race, he finished second place in the first and third race. So he was on the podium all three races, and he is now tied. He got second place last week in the first round for the 250 East, and he got first place this week. Shay McGrath won the first round last week and is now second this week. So they are tied in points. So they will both be running the red plate next week in Atlanta. So that is, that's another positive for Chase Sexton. My negative is Chase Sexton, he went wide in the turn after the finish line jump on the first race, and he just left that door wide open. You have to know that someone like Hampshire is going to come in there and slam that door shut on you. And he, uh, he's just got to be a little bit smarter than that because even though at least this time it was a slow, they weren't going really fast. It wasn't like Ferrandis and Craig where guys went launched through the air and someone got seriously hurt. But at the same time, you can't be picking yourself up off the ground. You at least now have to learn from this. You know now how RJ Hampshire is going to ride. You know how he's going to make his passes. So you got to be a little bit smarter. Cut that corner a little bit tighter and not let him to the inside like that to take you out. So let's look at Shane McElrath. He qualified first. He wins one of the races, and he's second overall. So Shane McElrath rode three solid races. Um, to come back to third in that first race, I mean, he was buried outside the top ten. I think he was like 12th or 13th out of the first turn in that first race. And now we're talking about instead of having 15 minutes plus one lap, these are three short races. Each race in the Triple Crown for the 250s is only 10 minutes plus one lap. So there's five less minutes. And with the times they were running, I'd say probably about eight less laps than a regular main event. So for him to go from outside the top 10 to finish third was really an impressive ride for him. Unfortunately, that is also my negative is you can't afford to be given those starts away. Um, if it would have been a regular main event, that one start would have counted and Sexton would have just run away with it. You would have ended up in third. Sexton would be the sole points leader and have the red plate for himself going into Atlanta. So for Shane McElrath, he's got to stay on top of his starts because Sexton can run with it. So he, he's not going to be able to give these guys that kind of advantage. I think Sexton, Martin, and Hampshire can run with Shane McElrath. If he doesn't get the starts, it's going to be really hard for him to keep running these guys down and uh, get the win. So let's look at RJ Hampshire now. He qualified fifth. He wins one of the races. He ends up third overall. RJ Hampshire came out swinging, literally. He, uh, he was running into everybody. Now, he wasn't being dirty. I'm not trying to say RJ Hampshire was being a dirty rider. But he sure wasn't afraid to uh, get up in there and make a little contact. He he was living days of thunder. Rubber Rubbing is racing. And that was his philosophy there at the Triple Crown. RJ Hampshire, he uh, he he wants to win. He showed, showed a lot of fire. He showed the desire to win, to do what he wants to. There were some comments in the post-race interview, uh, press conference, sorry, the post-race press conference, that it was an owing. Uh, Sexton took him out last year during the motocross season and he owed him. So now everything's even squared up. I don't know. That's a long time to hold a grudge, but any, in any case, um, he's not afraid to do what it takes to win. 
And again, his uh, all of Hampshire's moves were aggressive, but I wouldn't call them at all dirty. <clears throat> so let's look at Jeremy Martin. He qualified third. He didn't win any of the main events, but overall he was fourth place. Jeremy Martin finished 5-3-4 for fourth overall in the three races. I'm impressed with how Jeremy Martin is out there for the second week in the row, up front fighting for these things. He was running second place for a while in Tampa before his teammate Chase Sexton passed him. He ended up third place in the second moto. I'm sorry, the second race of the Triple Crown for the 250s, and he's just up there each week. For a guy who has been outside of racing for two years because of a major back injury, and now he's back after two races, he's been in the top five both weeks, and he has been fighting for, not fighting for the win, but fighting with the top guys, um, and he he's impressed me. I, I'm not going to say... I have nothing else to say, but he's impressed me. Um, my negative for him, though, and, and this is this is saying it just because that's what I do on this podcast. I, I try to be a plus and minus, a good and a bad, a yin and a yang, whatever you want to call it. My only negative is he he hasn't found that, that extra gear yet. The uh, Jake Sexton and Shane McElrath have got just a little bit more speed. They got one more gear. They can go just a little bit faster. And he needs to find that, and he will. He he is a champion, a past 250 motocross champion, and he he will find it. I would really look for Jeremy Martin to shine in a couple weeks going into Daytona. He's had success in Daytona before. Daytona is a longer, more rugged motocross style track. Jeremy Martin does better at motocross than he does in supercross. So I really look for Martin to have a breakthrough race in two weeks at Daytona. And I'd love to see him have a, a great race and a breakthrough race and get on the podium again at least uh, next week in Atlanta. So that brings us to Garrett Marchbanks. He qualified in eighth. He won zero races, and he got fifth overall. Garrett Marchbanks finished 6-4-5 in the three races. And for the second week in a row, he's finished in the top five. Now for Garrett Marchbanks, above all else, and you're finishing the top five, but you're also the top guy on the team. He is the best finishing pro circuit Kawasaki rider these first two rounds of the East Coast. So that's another chip on his shoulder, another positive for Garrett Marshbanks. A lot of people were talking about Jordan Smith. Marshbanks is having a better season, at least a better start to the season. My negative, he hasn't been up front fighting with the leaders. Like I said about Jeremy Martin, he hasn't been winning, but he's been up there battling with the front guys. Marshbanks, not so much. I He, he gets kind of mid-pack starts and just really isn't up there. I like to see him get a good start, get up front, be able to run with Shane McElrath, Chase Sexton, RJ Hampshire, Jeremy Martin, and really see their speed for a couple of laps so he can figure out what he needs to do, what they're doing that is better, and how he can pick up and make up the gap and run that speed with them. So all in all, though, for Garrett Marshbanks, I mean, hey, a uh, fourth and a fifth is a great start to the season. Anybody would be happy with that. Now, I want to give a shout-out to Joey Crown. Yes, he qualified in 11th. He was 7th overall, and that is a solid ride for him. Joey Crown went 7-5-10 for 7th overall. But what I love the most about that ride is in the second uh, race, he was up front in third place for a good portion of that race, battling with Jeremy Martin, 
Shane McElrath, and uh, even RJ Hampshire. So for him, just like I said for Mark Spanks, he got to see the speed. He got to see what the top guys were doing up there. He got to see their lines, how they were cornering. He got to feel the pace they were setting, and he can take that back home and to practice all week and replicate it over and over and get more comfortable running with those guys. And that was the other thing, too. He didn't look nervous. He didn't look like he was making a bunch of mistakes. He looked like he felt and he believed he belonged to be up there in third place, and I think he does. I think he's going to continue to grow, and if he can keep doing what he is doing now, he could have a good shot next year at, at getting a team or being a fill-in rider should somebody get hurt. So great job for Joey Crown. Jordan Smith, it much to say about you. Um, rough night, pal. I, I'm sorry for Jordan Smith. There was one crash. I can't remember exactly which race it was in, but he goes down in the whoops. And it doesn't look like a super hard crash. He doesn't just like slam hard. He kind of falls sideways into the tough blocks at, at a slower speed. But that whoop section was 180 degrees next to the rhythm section before. So as he goes sideways, his head, the top of his helmet, slams into the side of one of the jumps from the other rhythm section. So it was still, even though it didn't look too bad, really, if you looked hard, though, or looked closely, I'm sorry, it was kind of a harder crash than it, it appeared. So it, I think that kind of rang his bell. And like I said, when when it seemed like uh, R.J. Hampshire hooked under his arm in the, the third main event, he just kind of fell over. He didn't put up any fight. He didn't, and, and I'm not saying he didn't try not to fall, but he just was banged up, worn out, and he just wanted to get get done with that night. So, so stay tough, Jordan. You're, you're gonna, you're gonna bounce back from an Atlanta, keep your head up. You didn't get any serious injuries. Just heal up ice baths, hot tubs, whatever it takes and come out swinging in Atlanta. My last shout out is going to go to Justin Starling. Now, if any of you guys follow me on Twitter, um, Ron dog racing at Ron dog racing on Twitter, you guys will know that a couple weeks ago at Tampa, I'd put on Twitter that Justin Starling was going to be on my team. He replied, said, no, I, you know, I haven't been riding a lot. I wouldn't do it. His exact words were bad idea. I listened. I swapped him out for someone else. He ended up going directly to the main event out of the heat race. He finished in seventh, and the guy I picked didn't even make the main event. So he, he apologized to me on, on social media. I said, hey, it's all good. I'll see you next week in Arlington. You'll be on my team. He told me to stop by. He had a jersey for me. And he is a man of his word. Uh, I, I was able to go over there, take a couple pictures with him and his bike. He gave me one of his jerseys. He had signed it. So, I mean, for me, I, I've talked about it. I went to my first Supercross in 94 at the Rose Bowl. I watched Jeremy McGrath, Bradshaw, Kajowski, LaRocco, Ezra Lust, Damon Huffman, uh, and then Ricky Carmichael, Kevin Windham. You know, I've watched all those greats. James Stewart, Villapotos, the Dungies, um, J-Law. Uh, watched all those great riders. Chad Reed, Michael Byrne. I mean, there's so many of them. Anyways, I've been going to one Supercross every year since 94. I've possibly missed two. I know I've missed one year, but I've possibly missed two. But we're talking how many Supercrosses? This interaction I had... With uh, Justin Starling was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had. 
not only was the racing good, not only was the stadium an amazing stadium. My first time being to the AT&T Stadium. And if you ever get a chance to go to the race, A1, just because of all the excitement, the season opener in Anaheim, it's California, Southern California, the heart of motocross, it's always a good time, a good vibe. But, man, I got to tell you, I think AT&T Stadium is one of my favorite stadiums. But all that, sorry, I'm rabbit trailing, but all that to say, along with this interaction I had with Justin Starling, it easily, hands down, made this one of the best races I've ever been to in person. So I want to give a huge shout out to Justin Starling saying thank you very much, sir. Unfortunately, he didn't have a great night of racing. He just missed qualifying times by a couple hundredths of a second. And then in the LCQ, he got caught up in a first turn pile up and it looked like he might have injured his bad shoulder a little bit. It sounded like he's all good on social media. It sounds like he's going to be ready to go in, in Atlanta. So keep your head up if you hear this. Thank you so much for uh, for that jersey, for, for your interaction. Just such a cool guy, and, and it's really awesome. So thank you, thank you, thank you, and uh, keep your head up. Keep working. You're gonna make it. You're gonna you're gonna be up there getting those top ten finishes and getting me those great points in Pulp MX Fantasy. And yes, because you didn't make the main event last week, I took you off my team. So guess what? You are on my team again this week in Atlanta. So that's pretty much gonna wrap up our 250s. I'm gonna take a quick break here and then we'll get rolling on the 450s. So let's look at the 450s. Now the action in the 450s started long before the very first gate drop. There was a dragon back section in the second rhythm, or the yeah, the second rhythm after the finish line jump. Um, and a lot of the riders complained. I heard later on podcasts that the people that talk to the riders who know them um, go to the post-race interviews, stuff like that. They were saying the, the main thing a lot of the riders said is on this dragon's back, the top bump wasn't bigger than the second from the top bump. So that made it hard to hit. Now, a dragon's back, if you're not a fan of Supercross, is like an elevated staircase whoop section. So instead of big bumps you skim across the top at in a straight line, each one is higher than the one before. And it's usually about six to eight bumps, and you climb them. It looks just like a staircase, but instead of them being square edges like a stair, they're rounded. So they, they, they either, you either hit the first one and hop to the middle and hop off of it, or hop to the middle, hop to the top, and then over, because there's usually a single jump after it. So you, you kind of make a double out of it. Or the other option is you skim it, you blitz it like a whoop section with so much speed that you hit that top one and your momentum carries you over that single and you land on the downside. Unfortunately for Adam Cicerillo, his front tire missed the very top bump, so his nose dropped. And instead of clearing the single, he ended up hitting the top of it with his front tire, which bounced him and into a front wheelie, just like Jet Lawrence at Anaheim 2. Then it slammed them into the face of the triple that was right after the dragon's back. So, unfortunately, Adamson Cirillo broke his collarbone. He did uh, post on social media today, it's uh, Thursday, that he got the plate put in. It already feels great. He looks to getting back to racing ASAP. But I would expect Adamson Cirillo to be out for a minimum of three weeks. So, in race one, Jason Anderson would get the whole shot. 
Uh, but Cooper Webb would waste no time and quickly take it by the second turn. Roxon would also pass Anderson and in the next corner take the lead again from Cooper. Um, after one lap, the running order is Roxon, Webb, Anderson, Brayton, Osborne, Davalos, Brees, I'm sorry, Davalos, Barsha, Freezy, Baggett, and Dean Wilson rounding out your top 10. Stewart in 11th, and Tomac with a horrible start is back in 13th. Reed is in 18th, and Brock Tickle is all the way back in 20th after his being only a second race for missing two years to the probation. Eight minutes plus one lap, Roxon has opened up a two-second lead over Webb, but ba Blake Baggett and Eli Tomac are the two riders on the move as they're up the 7th, and Tomac is up the 10th. Davalos and Brayton are in a good battle for 4th, and Davalos has got the advantage at the moment. Six minutes plus one lap. Now, at this point, um, they didn't show it on TV. I was looking in the wrong place, which happens a lot when I'm there live. So, apparently, at this point, five laps in, uh, Brock Tickle had a crash and he ended up breaking his hand. It would end his night. So, tough break for, for, for Tickle, but I look forward to his return. He was looking good, riding great. Just like Jeremy Martin, very impressive after being off the bike. And not necessarily off the bike, but out of racing at the top level for two years. So, so get better, uh, Brock Tickle. So six minutes plus one lap, and the running order is Roxon, who's now 2.7 seconds ahead of Webb, followed by Anderson, Davalos, Barsha, Brayton, Baggett, Tomac, Stewart, and Osborne rounding out the top ten. Justin Hill, who was your fastest qualifier, ended up going down on the first lap, and he's back up to 11. Three minutes plus one lap left. Roxon has a 2.5 second lead over Webb. Webb is starting to turn it up a little bit, starting to close the uh, gap. But he's got Anderson, who's applying pressure from behind, and Barsha has moved up to fourth. Tomac is now running out your top five. Both Davalos and Brayton have gone down and dropped way back. Roxon would win race one, making it four triple crown races in a row. Followed by Webb, Anderson, Barsha, Tomac, Justin Hill, Osborne, Stewart, Baggett, Plessinger, and rounding out your top 10. Now, in race number two, Blake Baggett would get the whole shot, but Tomac would be right there and waste no time taking the lead. So at the end of lap one, it's Tomac, Baggett, Stewart, Justin Hill, Anderson, Wilson, Osborne, Davalos, both Webb and Rockton have gotten bad starts as they are in, in 9th and 10th. Barsha's in 11th, and Brayton got a 13th place start. 10 minutes plus one lap, Tomac has a 2.4 second lead over Baggett, and Stewart is applying the pressure on Anderson in a battle for fourth. Farther back in the pack, Davalos goes off the track and is stuck in a tough block, allowing Webb and Roxon to get by for 8th and 9th, with Barsha tagging along now in 10th. 8 minutes left, and Barsha makes a pass on Roxon, and the running order is Tomac, Baggett, Anderson, Justin Hill, Stewart, Wilson, Webb, Osborne, Barsha, and Roxon is faded back to 10. Five minutes plus one lap. Anderson has moved into second. Webb is up to six, and Roxon is still in 10th. Three minutes plus one lap, and uh, Tomac is gone with the lead. Webb passes Stewart and takes advantage of Baggett crashing to move into fourth. Wilson has gone down in the whoops and right in front of Barcher. Barcher does a great job at slowing down and avoiding uh, running into Wilson and is able to hold on to his position, <clears throat> moving up to seventh. 
Two laps to go. Cooper Webb has a huge crash off the face of the triple in the dragon's back. Webb's front wheel misses the last bump, a lot like Adam Censorillo. He clips the top of the single, gets stuck on the front wheel just like Adam Censorillo, but Webb is angled to the left. So instead of getting slammed, as soon as his front tire starts hitting the incline, it flips. But he is turned so far to the left that instead of hitting the face of the jump, it launches him off the side of the track. He lands so hard on his back. And you, I, I thought he he broke something. I thought that was it. His season's over. I I could have sworn he broke his back. He does instantly as soon as he hits. He obviously hits the impact momentum. He slides a little bit. The rear fender of the bike even clips him. But when he finally comes to a stop, he quickly rolls onto his hands and knees and starts crawling. So I have a, a sigh of relief. He's moving his hands. He's moving his legs. Nothing serious is wrong. He still might have broke something. But at least he isn't paralyzed or isn't, isn't crippled at all. So that was a sad relief, but still, it was a horrible crash. And it was with only two laps left to go. And he was in a good position. Uh, he had worked his way all the way up to, I think, third at that point. So he would have still got good points, but it's unfortunate. I am just so thankful that he is okay. So Tomac would win the race number two, followed by Anderson, Justin Hill, Osborne, Barsha, rounding out your top five. Roxon would battle his way only up to seven. So that brings us to our third and final race. Zach Osborne would get the whole shot, and the running order at the first lap was Osborne, Baggett, Anderson, Roxon, Stewart, Tomac, Barsha, Freezy, Wilson, and Davalos rounding out your top ten. And uh, Justin Hill would have a good start, but he'd go down in the last turn before the finish line and fall way back. Seven minutes plus one lap, Osborne still leads, followed by Anderson, Roxon, Tomac, Barsha running out your top five. There's a great battle in front with only 2.5 seconds separating first and fourth. So you got four top riders all in the same corner at the same time. The front guy might be coming out of the corner and the fourth guy might be coming into the corner, but they were all in the same shot. I mean, this was a good battle going on. Six minutes plus one lap. Anderson makes the pass for the lead on his teammate Osborne over the finish line jump. Tomac dives to the inside and puts an aggressive block pass on Ken Roxon to take third. But Roxon comes right back two turns later and ends up block passing Tomac to take third back. The following lap, Roxon would make, this, make a mistake in the rhythm section after the finish line jump, allowing Tomac to, to uh, get him in the second turn. And make another block pass. Ken knew it was coming. He, he, you know, what they say, stand the bike up. He just kind of went to the top of the corner. Didn't even put his leg out. Just waited. You know, Tomac didn't make contact. But Ken Roxon ended up cutting down hard out of the turn once Tomac passed him. Got a great drive up the, the dragon's back. And is almost alongside uh, Tomac as they land over that single going into the triple. Tomac ends up coming over, taking his line, and even throwing the rear tire out. Uh, luckily, Ken Roxon was smart. He saw it coming, and he did not jump the triple. He would have got a whole tire full of, of Tomac's bike if he did. But he even looked over his shoulder. He just doubled and said triple, looked over his shoulder, made sure it was clear. Nobody was coming. No harm, no foul. And he got back on it. Two laps to go. Anderson goes down in the whoops. Um, giving second to Roxon, 
and Tomac would go on to win the race number three and the overall, followed by Roxon Osborne, Barsha Anderson, Wilson Plessinger, Justin Hill, Stewart, and Freezy rounding out your top ten. The overall would be Tomac, Roxon, Anderson, Barsha, and Zach Osborne rounding out your top five. So let's talk about Eli Tomac for a little bit. He qualified second. He won two of the three races, and he ended up first overall. My top, my top, sorry, excuse me. My positive for Eli Tomac is that he won two out of three races. He had a bad start, only was able to work up to fifth in the first one. I thought, oh no, as soon as I saw his start, he was in 13th place. I literally thought to myself, the Arlington curse has gotten Tomac again. He won in 18, and he got a fifth, I believe, in 2016. But every other race in Arlington, when Tomac has been on the 450, he has been outside the top five, usually between 7th and 15th on his really bad nights. So Arlington owed him one, and he came and collected this week. So that was really good for Eli Tomac. My negative, Tomac got the bad start in the first race, and it made things really tight. He, he was really battling in the third race. Even winning, Anderson could have put himself in a position if he got second to win the overall. So for Tomac, you got you got to try not to give that edge to these other riders because they will take advantage of it. And just to, just take a quick moment, I, I mentioned the pass he put on Ken Rocks in that third lap. Watching it again, it, it looks crazy, and um, especially the GoPro who sponsors Ken Roxon, they show like a quick highlight of his whole main event almost every week. And when you see it on his his GoPro, Ken Roxon's GoPro, I mean, it looks like Tomac just comes over and cuts him off and just Bam Bam style throws that rear tire out. But in all honesty, you never see Tomac look back. Tomac and Ken Roxon have raced each other aggressively but cleanly. So I don't think it was done intentionally. I don't think Tomac was trying to cut him off the track. I think what it was, guys like uh, Justin Starling commented on, on social media that if you were on the inside going to that next corner, that rhythm section was just really hard to do and really bad. So I think Tomac thought he had made the pass, thought he had cleared Roxon, and he was just getting to the outside over that triple to set him up for the next right-hander after the landing. He also made the same move on Anderson to take the lead, but it didn't look nearly as bad because Anderson didn't get that great drive out of the corner over the Dragon's back. So when Tomac came over, there were a couple bike lengths between him and Anderson, so they, no one even thought twice about that move. So I just want to clear that up. I don't think it was a bad move. It wasn't a great move, I'll say, but it wasn't intentional by Tomac. Tomac didn't try to cut him off on purpose. I really don't think Tomac had any idea Kenny was that close. So with that said, let's look at Ken Roxon. Ken Roxon qualified sixth. He won the first of the three main events, and he finished second overall. Roxon came out swinging. Um... Webb quickly took the lead in that first race. I thought, this is it. Webb's going to run away with it. Webb's going to do what Webb does at the Triple Crowns, and he's getting right back into this. But Roxon wasted no time passing Webb, taking the lead, and just owning that first race. He never had a huge gap. He didn't just leave the rest of them back there and gap the whole field. 
but he had a 2.7 second lead, I think, majority of the race, just over, just under three seconds. So he had a comfortable lead, and he probably could have picked it up in that first one if he wanted to. My negative, though, is the second race. It, it was just one of those where it reminded me of Oakland. He got a bad start, and I just don't know if the track was breaking down. I mean, definitely in Oakland it was, but it's just like he couldn't make it around people. He didn't have that aggression. He didn't have that, that I don't know what you call it, the intent or the intensity like we've seen him in the past where it's like in the first couple corners or even like in that first uh, race where it's just like boom, boom, boom. He's getting guys quick, 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 getting himself to the front. It almost seemed like, you know, how he got stuck behind Barsha at Oakland. He worked his way up to 8th and then faded back to 10th and then finally got up to 7th by the end of it. Tomac started not that far in front of him. So uh, it just – you saw Tomac in the first one. He worked his way through the crowd, got up to 5th. If Roxon could have got up to 5th, he might have been a little bit more more uh, in, in the chance in that battle in the third race instead of just Tomac and Anderson trying to win it. Um, I will say this, though. In the third race, when Tomac passed Roxon the first time, Roxon fired right back. It was the exact same corner, except this time, instead of Tomac going, Tomac made the block pass, and then Ken cut to the inside. So they got over the Dragon's back. Ken was getting a better drive over the Dragon's back than Tomac was. Ken got to the inside over the triple, and they both whipped it out, keeping it low. But Ken controlled the inside of the corner, going into the next corner and he he just came all the way across blocked the line and took it back but tomac made this very same pass again the following lap before that dragon's back and this time roxon was on the outside so he wasn't able to to do or to control the corner especially when tomac came over on him he did the smart thing and backed it down but I am glad to see that fight. I said in last week's podcast that I didn't see that aggression. I didn't see that fight in his eyes anymore. You know, he seemed more frustrated than fired up. Well, he showed me he was fired up in that third race, and he was trying to beat Eli Tomac. So for Ken Roxon, I'm glad to see that. But you got to find your way through the pack quicker. You got to get back up the fourth. If they look at Barsha, Barsha's always coming through the pack and getting up the fourth place. That's what Ken Roxon got to do if he gets a bad start. He's got to get his starts figured out too, man. The beginning of the season, he was top three out of that first corner and after the first lap. So he's got to get back up there if he wants to wants to get back in there. Um, he's got to start ahead of Tomac if he wants to finish ahead of Tomac. Because Tomac's, Tomac's doing good. Tomac is maintaining his season right now, and he's fast. So I don't know if Ken Roxon is going to be able to going to be able to start behind him, and he's definitely going to have a hard time catching him. So Ken Roxon, you got to get your start styled, and you got to get out in front and let Tomac stay buried in the pack and work his way through while you run away and disappear. That brings us to Jason Anderson. He qualified fifth. He didn't win any main events, and he got third overall. Jason Anderson was fast, just like he's always fast. He went 3-2-5. Overall, he was third. Once Anderson gets going, he... He's got such a loose style, but it works for him. He's one of those guys that, you know, his shirt's untucked in the back, and he's constantly throwing the bike sideways over all the jumps, but it works for him. He is fast. Um, unfortunately, I don't think he's been getting the greatest starts, so he's going to need that because, again, it's one thing to 
have that little bit of extra when the guy's right in front of you. When Tomac's in the lead and he's right in front of you as opposed to having to try to run him down from 10 seconds back. My negative is he, Anderson's always on the edge. He's always hanging it out. So, like in the case of the third main event, now he's fighting for the overall. And when he's got to go that next level, he's already on the edge. So, he ended up losing it in the whoops. He ended up slamming into a robotic or remote-controlled camera. And that's why they put the remote-controlled camera there. Because he already hit a asterisk medical guy losing control in the whoops. Uh, either on press day or in practice. But Anderson ended up going into the camera, going down, and dropping back and finishing fifth. Um, Ken, I think, had him and would have won second anyways, and he still would have lost the overall if he didn't crash. But still, you know, keep it on two wheels, and and you got to finish up front. So for Anderson, he's just got to gotta nail it down. He's doing what he did in 18 to win the championship. He's sticking around. He's quiet. He's not, you know, when you think about, oh, man, we're going in next week. Who we gonna, who are we looking at in Atlanta? We're looking at Tomac, Roxon, and Webb. You know, you don't really think about Anderson. Yeah, Anderson can be a top five guy, but, but Anderson's doing what he loves. He's under the radar. People aren't putting any pressure on him. They're not really paying attention to him, but he's got to keep it on two wheels. That brings us to Justin Barsha. Barsha once, Justin Barsha once again finished in the top five. And he's kept his championship lives, his championship hopes alive through eight rounds. Um, he showed good speed, finishing 4-5-4, so he's in the top five in all three races. Unfortunately, my negative is he is now 27 points behind Tomac. That is an entire race plus one. So he needs to be finishing ahead of Eli Tomac and Ken Roxon in every race going out to catch them in the points. And he's going to need to win a handful of these main events as well. So Barsha's not out of it. He's shown speed. He's shown greatness. But he's really got his work cut out for him if he's going to hang with these guys and and get back into this championship. The last rider we're going to talk about is Zach Osborne. The reason I want to bring up Zach Osborne, he had not only did he finish fifth overall, but he had one of his better nights of the year of the 2020 season. He went 7-4-3, so he got better in each main event for fifth overall. He started with the whole shot in, in the third race, and he led a few laps. So this is good. This is what I, as a fan, have been expecting out of Zach Osborne. At the beginning of the season, I had him on my uh, list of riders who could finish in the top five regularly and possibly win a main event. Unfortunately, my negative is Osborne has not had a great start to his 2020 season. He's been down in the ground a couple times. He's been getting bad starts. In Glendale, he had several bad starts that resulted on him in the ground that resulted in him on the ground. So for Zach Osborne, I'm glad you turned it around. Let's keep it going in Atlanta. I expect you to be up there. You led laps. You were up there with your your teammates, so you know what to expect now. So come on, Osborne, let's bring it in to uh, let's bring it into Atlanta, and let's get ready for Daytona. Um, as far as everybody in general, y'all need to come out swinging t uh, this Saturday in Atlanta because we all know Eli is going to be on fire at Daytona, and he's going to go out there and tomac the field. So we need to get him now. 
if you want to get back in this championship, you need to get him in Atlanta. You need to put yourself in a position where you can take a small hit, minimize the damage at Daytona, and then come out the second half of this season on fire. So once again, as always, I want to thank you guys for listening to the Dented Pipe Podcast. This is, again, Episode 8, the Arlington Supercross. And I want to thank everyone for listening. Thank you for the likes. Thank you for the downloads. I hope you guys enjoy it. Let me get your feedback. Tell me what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to see changed. Just say hi, whatever. You can either comment on wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can follow me and comment on Twitter at Dented Pipe or on Instagram at Dented Pipe Podcast. Or you can just shoot me an email, dentedpipe one word at gmail.com that's dented pipe at gmail.com and with that i will bid you all a good night and hope to hope you guys come back for next week's podcast when we talk about atlanta thank you and good evening <laughs>